This is Jack Gottlieb with the L&D Transformation Podcast where business leaders share their advice. It's five questions in nine minutes because talent development needs to create value and generate results quickly that balance immediate needs and long-term transformation. So let's get to it. In a few sentences, please tell us who you are and what you do. Yeah, my name is Adam Hickman. I'm the Vice President of Learning and Organizational Cast Development for Partners Federal Credit Union, which is an affiliation with the Walt Disney Company. What would you say, all joking aside, Adam, what is the best thing about being in learning and development right now, either from the macro sense of what's going on you know, in industry and in, in the world of business and life, you know, and or Disney as well, what's the best thing right now in the seat you're in? Yeah, so we're worse. Uh, Disney as a whole is a storytelling company, right? Think of the the stories that come from there. Everyone's got their version of their favorite Disney movie or the the song that you just can't shake. We're in the same business. And I think anybody that's in an L&D um, space should be or ought to be in that same storytelling business. Our story, though, is in service of others. And I think if you if you woke up today thinking through how do I develop and engage our workforce, you're already in the right mindset. And then really, it's just, are you chapter one or are you more so towards the end of the story where we're thinking through and dreaming of what's next? And I just, I, my hopes are that others feel and have that same experience because I think that's the magic that we tell. I think that's a phenomenal point because storytelling, story building, and how that translates into, especially with a credit union, we have these financial needs and goals. We have these products and services. We have members. We have SEGs. We have an overall environment by which whether it's dedicated to disney or if it's to a community or multi-state population there's a story that we want people to engage in when they join a credit union because you're a member not a customer and as a result that plays in lnd so i I really appreciate that narrative most executives especially within credit unions but just overall agree there's going to continue to be shifts and elevation of what lnd is about and what what really it's expected to do how do you see expectations continually evolving? Yeah, well, let, let's tell a story. Uh, <laughs> here's here's some data points, and, and I'll, we'll weave in the, the financial piece to it. Sure. Uh, my, my friends at Gallup just had come out with a state of a global workplace report. There's three points that I, I think should shake the core of every executive, no matter what industry that you're in. But if you look at thriving at work, so th- these are your most engaged employees, right? If, if I said, you know, think of the person that's most engaged, loves their job. That's a thriving session. They've got traits. They've got state of mind. They take on extra work. It's just on Sundays, they're excited to come to work on Monday. They're not dreading it, right? There's your champions. Globally, 23%, that's the workforce we're working with. In, in the United States, we're only at 31%. Okay, so that, that that's a telling story. Next part, quiet quitting has never stopped talking, right? We, we still continue to hear it and see it. Uh, locally, 52% in the United States. That's, that's the number mm. we're saying of not engaged, 52% is quiet quitting. Globally, it's 59%. Here's the fun one that I'm, um, I kind of poked a joke on, on LinkedIn about, is there things such as loud quitting? And then lo and behold, it shows up. So loud quitting, which is those that just quit and stay. Right? They're they're actively disengaged. They're, what's the bare minimum? And maybe I'll hit that. At a global state, 18% of the workforce is there. Regionally in the United States, we're at 17%. All three of those points lead back to productivity and engagement. Underline that with, but they all need a paycheck. Right? And these are the members that we service. These are the individuals that join credit unions. I mean, fill in the blanks with what they are. All of that contends to their work experience. 
So what L&D executives and others should be aiming at is that they've got to have a work experience that is barn unto anything they've ever experienced. They need to be in that fully engaged status every single day because the traditional um, economic frame of transaction to dollar no longer cuts it. You've got to go past that to the behavioral economics piece of you can go to the scholar world of Danny Kahneman, that's the Nobel Prize to this, or you can go to the actual piece if I said, what's the one company you spend a little bit more money on or go to because you've had a great experience? That's Kahneman's whole exercise around we're emotional before we're rational. And so the idea of you've got to care about engagement at its core because it's affecting not only your staff, but it's affecting your stock price. It's affecting your growth. And there's a, there's a couple other things in the midst of that that we can get into, but I, to me, that's the um, that's the piece that I feel like we often miss. And in our institution um, that we lead, our cast members, our members that we serve, make the magic that you experience when you're at when you're at the parks or cruise lines or you know wherever you're at. And so we've got to match what that is internally to ensure that meets our members as well. It's a powerful point, right? Because I'm a Disney Vacation Club member, by the way, so I can speak well, to this. You. <laughs> you're, you're, you're welcome. If I think of the cruise line or where our home base is the Riviera, and we just had our first time at Riviera this past year, just because we bought it last year, just used it for the first time this year. Staff is amazing, right? Engaged, value, welcome home, all the aspects where that's really rang true beyond just very authentic words. But then when they're done, they need that credit union that their life that work is providing and enriching them for is supporting in the same way that they're supporting us, you know, the, the, the guests, the, the, themselves with each other. I think what you brought up is such a powerful piece that is still very nascent in regards to culture and engagement is this idea that the path of real impact and value for a member, for you, guest for them, how does that translate back though to you as a member in the life you've gotten, if we can have one chain where how we support you at home, enrich the lives and goals that you have financially and overall, how that translates to the experience you have at work. And it's one clean line. Even when there's things that are challenging, we have something we can trust both ends. So I really yeah. love that narrative, Adam. Yeah, absolutely. What, what, and thank you for the gallop piece. I think the, just to acknowledge that real briefly, mm -hmm. the idea of thriving is one that isn't just about, yeah, I love being here and doing good work. To me, it's the, back in my executive days at a credit union, there's a member on the other side of everybody's work. The CFO, the the accountant, the controller, you touch the member as much as the branch manager does, as much as the loan officer does. Sure. Because without you, the books, the management, the planning, the decision-making, how we deploy our money does not impact how we fund not only our operation, but invest back to the members. That yes. being said, if we're thriving, we all own that whether we touch the member or not, because we all touch the member. So yes. I think that's, a, I think Gallup is on point, but your narrative around it, I think was great. What piece of advice do you have for other folks that are in L&D, PBTD, OD, HR, the human capital engine, when it comes to yeah. this future forward? Yeah, there's the long-term solution and there's the quick fix. So let's go long-term first. There's one position that, um, I don't, I haven't understood for the longest time and have been working in the space for years that is a fix for all of this. That a lot of the, the things that, I mean, in, in L&D is a billion dollar industry that a lot of dollars go towards. And 
I, I've always agreed with the the solution is there's one position that makes the difference for everything. And I'm, I'll answer, but let me give you a story. Think of the best uh, fast food restaurant you go to. Now think of the worst. You have one difference. One person made a difference in that experience for you, and you didn't even get to meet them. And it's the one position that if you deem wrong is the most costly, and it's the manager's role. They own up to 70% of that team's engagement every single interaction. But a lot of money is spent on things that have no relationship to the manager development. So the long-term effect is you got to build a manager development strategy that is superior to any other position in there. And the reason being is I'm not in the branches. I'm not even in Orlando or Anaheim. I'm outside of Cleveland. So my interactions with those that are members is few and far between. But those that are on the front line, who do they turn to? I mean, it's the coach boss mentality. Who do they turn to on the field when they've got to run a play? They got to turn their manager. Well, if I spent my money elsewhere and developed our executives or developed this or built that, but I didn't prepare and develop that manager in that moment, I have a risk of up to 70% of that person's engagement being a miss and the productivity of how that outcome translates to. So the, the long-term effect is that. The short-term, let's say you've got that, all right? Um, at the time that I'd, I'd spent at Gallup, right, right towards my end, I remember our uh, CEO, Jim Clifton, said to our chief scientist, then uh, Jim Harder, who's I think he's still acting in that space, um, how do you scientifically get better at managing people? Fact check me on this. I'll send you the meta-analysis. You need one meaningful conversation a week. But the difference is this. Every time I post that to someone and I've said, how do you know the conversation's meaningful? And I hear a whole lot of an answer. And I'm like, but did you ask the person, is that meaningful to them? I think it's a phenomenal piece. Uh, we're very aligned on that because so oftentimes we're choosing, for example, in the world of credit unions, not in a, not in a nefarious or negative way. We've got our loan volume goals. We've got our loans that are maturing. We've got members we might be losing. We have our net new members goal, right? We have goals. We have financial targets. We have assets. We have liquidity. We've got We've got obviously delinquency ratios, right? All the all the fun numbers that we're trying to maintain health-wise, and like many organizations, we're, we're caught up in those. We've got goals around those, but it's like, wait a minute, the financial dreams, goals, and health of our members' lives today and the aspirations they have for tomorrow, do we have ownership in that space? Are they viewing this as a part of their life or just a transactional vehicle? And do right. we own that? Do we understand that? Because so oftentimes, and we both know this, in the world of banking, banks, credit unions, community banks, there's always another gas station on the corner by the proverbial view yeah. of a member or a customer that sees a rate, sees an opportunity, sees if I open this, I get three, four of it. That's the outward view. But the question is, are we trying to own impact? Are we trying to own rates that go up and down and left and right? And that also translates to how we're really engaging our leaders to engage our people in a narrative that isn't just about referrals and transactions, but are we building real relationships and impact? And do you have a part of that? You're not just a teller or a universal employee, you're more. So I think your long-term, short-term and the intersection of both is the tipping point to this. Yes. I love that. How yeah. would you recommend those that are hearing us discuss this begin to implement that narrative into a discipline that whether it's one-on-one -on -one, whether it's within a function, a region, or the whole credit union or organization, those not in that space, 
how would you recommend starting to implement that as a pragmatic part of the business or L&D function, right? Because it all connects. Yes. Uh, you got to, I feel like a data junkie when I always say stuff like you get, you need a baseline, right? So what are we working with? And if your baseline for your managing leaders today is what, fill in the blank with what that is, but you, but you got to anchor it to something. I've always deferred to what's the competencies, core values of this organization. So, you know, take a high level down to the ground, your core values, everyone's got, right? Just Google it. You can find out what they are, but that's 30,000 foot of how we operate when people are in the room, decisions are being made. Translate that down to the manager level. You've got a, ideally, you've got a, a set of competencies to say, this is how we lead people. This is how I do work. Those are separate. But how you lead the, how you lead people is a set of competencies that are non-negotiables that everyone's bought into. If that gives you the establishment of this is how we lead, then we can in turn say, well, what are we starting with? What do I got in the door already? And you can kind of get an aggregate view of, of where we're strong, where we're at. The fun part to this is when you can study your best. You've got you've got manager talent somewhere in your organizations because you're existing today. Is it is it at the peak? Well, it's up to you for you to decide, but you've got it there. So put that to use for you, right? Your best prediction of success is past success. So study the past to know how do we predict what that future is. Long term, here comes the short term. Meaningful conversations to the person on their side. You don't need a degree in in psychology to figure out what this is. It's asking them, hey, what, what's your favorite project you've worked on? What do you get the most out of? What are you excited about? If you focused on goals and past successes, you are going to train your ear on the talent of the person. You don't even know, maybe that's not what you would call it, but they're telling you where they get the energy from, where they get excitement from, what are they looking for? Their past success might be such a microscopic piece of something that was huge, really, like, but, but we accomplished so much. Why did you love just that one part? Right? And on the other other end, it's, it's people, it's process, it's expectations, it's clarity, it's collaboration. They're going to give you the recipe for what that is. So I know if, if I'm going to go talk to... Um, Brian Roach on my team. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna change the verbiage and things that I say to him different than I would Selena on my team. Not because it's a um, it's right, wrong, or different, but I know their talent so well enough to where to adjust to that they will hear me different based on the way that I would change as my approach to them. Where I think others have gone wrong in the past is well, let's just admit it, command and control didn't work. It, it worked in certain industries, and I would say in some. Um, healthcare or health safety and environmental positions and, and military situations. I'm not discounting that. In our world that we work in day in and day out, it doesn't work. It never has worked. And I don't understand why it took as long as it did to flush itself out. But slowly we're seeing the shift that nobody wants the boss they, that's in the skybox. They're looking for the coach on the field and they absolutely need that. In, in, in our space, I mean, that you asked the question, you know, what do we get them or what, what am I most proud of in those pieces? That's it. That's what, that's what we get involved with. Love it. So critical. Last question. Who inspires you the most? Yeah, it's it's a great interview question. And it's um it's one that I always say, like, I've got a preface. I'm probably not your normal person, so d don't try this at home. <laughs> but this is this is my inlet. Uh learner, I mean, if you think in terms of of just strengths of people, I, I don't think I've ever shut off that faucet of learning stuff. But my inroad to who inspires me. Are, are people that are obsessed, obsessed with their craft to the point where they claim it out loud and they're not shy. 
So those that are, they're not usually in the L&D space. There's maybe a couple, but I love to read and, and just watch and observe what, who are the folks that are out there in different industries that are just obsessed with what they do. So here's someone's off the top of their head. Uh, David Goggins is absolutely adore. He's not for everyone. He's very um, vocal in what he does and how he does it, but he's obsessed with being the best version of himself. His tactics and strategies if you've got the L&D mindset, you can just put those in the place and what we do. He's doing nothing but studying the best, which he claims is himself. And he's putting strategies in place to do that. Perfect. In an L&D space, Adam Grant, I think, is phenomenal with his um, way in which to take something complex and put it to simple terms. That's phenomenal how that happens. Um, I've got other, I mean, just other friends in the industry that I've always looked to to see that, you know, your Hollywood stars that you see on LinkedIn and Twitter and Instagram and wherever else they're at. They're great, but your your folks that make the actual changes and do the work and may never get recognized are the ones that are in your verticals. And I'll keep eyes on them on LinkedIn. Hey, what are they up to in this space of? But it's more or less find the topic area and then find the one that's just the guru in that space and know that they might not have the degrees and fanciness of things. But at the end of the day, if they're the ones that are obsessed with that, they're going to say and do things that are not common that you would find in an exec ed course or in a degree somewhere. I love that. And before I close out, there's two things I want to acknowledge for our our community and our audience. And I agree with you. The two biggest foundational significant pieces that you will elevate and accelerate your your learning, development, growth whether it's to an executive purge, global responsibility, key disciplinary area, is the obsession of the parts within and parts around it, but goals. You said that a little bit earlier. Yes. When we have goals and it's matched with obsession, we seek and find opportunities for learning. We seek and find opportunities for resilience. We seek and find opportunities to push through. And although books and learning and courses and programs and competency, absolutely all well-designed and needed. If I don't have those two things, goals that are of mine aligned to my organization and the obsession to an extent where I'm really passionate about the impact, not just getting it done, we can develop you and we can build skills, but we may not build capability. Yeah. So I love that. I love that. I could keep doing this with you. Yeah. But I will say this. It was a pleasure having you on. Yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. This is Jack Gottlieb with the L&D Transformation Podcast. For more insights and ideas, you can go to our homepage to watch, tsgresults.com forward slash podcast, or audio, Apple, Spotify, and uh, Amazon. Adam, it was great. Thanks.